Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. You're listening to Theater in College Hoops. I'm Subi. Alongside me is Taylor Dammel and The Shark. We're brought to you by Dash Radio's Nothing But Net channel and the Barnburner Podcast Network. Go subscribe on whichever device that you use. Your random college hooper of the week is Jerron Maiman. I know that's a shark favorite. To quote Mystical, if you ever see Jerron Maiman in a fight with the bear, help the bear. Jerron Maiman, former forward for the Vols. Uh, this is going to be a very shark-centric show. Say that five times fast. A lot of topics that will directly impact him. Uh, but Jerron Maiman, your random college trooper of the week. Go ahead and check out the website at thebarnburner.com. That's the-barnburner.com. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at CBB Theater. You should also follow me at Subi232 to find out where the feet is and make sure to follow Taylor at Taylor Dammel and the shark at the underscore shark underscore BB. Let's open the curtains. Right, gentlemen uh like i had alluded to huge shark episode upcoming here we have a just a, a great episode really in general our our best and most fun interview with probably the most name brand guy that we've ever gotten chris lofton 2007 sec player of the year we interview him later on this episode a volunteer sharks boy uh but first before we get to the good stuff shark before we get to the positive stuff that is chris lofton we got to get to the negative which is jim christian although he got fired so that could be viewed as a positive jim christian at bc out after some of the most one of the most appalling records i've ever seen in my entire life over that tenure so appalling that it just you're it's like circular thinking you say to yourself how the fuck did this guy last that long to accumulate such a terrible record i gotta kick it to you though it's almost like the the knight in shining armor came to chestnut hill and slayed the dragon you're all free to eat i don't really know how to react right now i mean I, i'm a laughing stock of bc basketball in one second where people jeff goodman's chirping us about having 22 fans. And then the next second I'm getting lifted up with a Lofton interview, which by the way, you got Chris Lofton. I can't, I'm still sitting here right now. I can't believe we got the guy on the show. He's one, the greatest three point shooter I've ever seen electrified the Tennessee basketball program. And here I am talking about Jim Christian, 
winning, you know, a cup of coffee of ACC games over nearly a decade. So it's it's a tough, it's a bittersweet. You can call it that. You can call it a yin and a yang. I don't really know. Um, I'm I'm knee deep in this coaching search right now, sleeping three hours a night, deep in the message boards, tracking whatever I have to do. What, no matter what happens in my life, I'm always going to be followed by coaching searches. Tennessee and BC lend themselves to it. The Washington football team. It's 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 always going to be there. These schools that I align myself with, but you really can't say anything negative to me right now because of that interview with Chris Lofton. How great of a guy he is, how genuine he is, and the fact that he was willing to give us the time of day when he was an absolute legend in the late two thousands. So we dubbed Dufraining last year when you just have to wade through a pile of shit to get to the end. You are literally Dufraining right here on Titch to wade through this pile of Jim Christian shit so you can get to a Chris Lofton. You could call it Dufraining. Other thing popping up in my mind, I, I think the movie Knocked Up when uh, Paul Rudd's out there doing a fantasy baseball draft with his boys. His wife comes storming in. He did, he's in trouble for sneaking around. He knows he's caught dead to rights during the headlight type look. Wife walks in. He looks at her and says, you know what? Got Matsui. Drafted a decky Matsui. He was fired up about that. That's kind of where I'm at right now too, Sue, but you can splice that line in there if you can track that down. But uh, Carlos Delgado. Excellent choice. Too bad I got him three rounds ago. You're still on the clock. Oh, shit. You got to do something. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Hideki Matsui. <sighs> just took my whole outfield. Sorry, Charlie. What is this? Debbie. What the fuck is this? It's our fantasy baseball draft. We said no wives. Your fantasy what? It's our draft. The fantasy baseball. I I told you all about this. Got Matsui. Hey, I, the interview's great. You guys are probably wondering who the hell I am and why I'm still talking. I don't really know either, so I hope you enjoy it. Taylor, any thoughts on the Jim Christian firing at, at BC? Um, you know, I guess my only thought is not knowing a ton about BC basketball is – that my favorite thing about coaching searches, even ones that I've been a part of, is the absolute unrealistic expectations that basketball uh, fans have. Are you have. telling me, are you trying to say Rick Pitino is not realistic? <laughs> I mean... He's sitting here right now and telling me that. Yes. He's, okay. he's. I mean, I, I sure. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. I'm going to say Look, you, I'm going to stand on the mountain. I'm going to scream three names until they hire the St. Bonaventure's coach, and I'm sad and we're depressed and we lose for the next 10 years. Hey, but the Bonnies Bonnie have a good program going, though, right? Fair now. enough. Hey, I, I get it. The guy could be a great fit, too, but I'm standing on this mountain. I'm screaming Rick Patino. I'm screaming Bobby Hurley, and I'm screaming John Beeline. And if anything other than those, I'm going to go scorched earth. Um, you know, please don't take Bobby Hurley from ASU. Although I could kind of see one of those um, mutual parting of ways type of decisions with Bobby Hurley. Timing, yeah. you know? Bobby yeah. Hurley is a legend out here. You guys don't get it. I know you guys don't read books. You're not well read. Go pick up the book Miracle Jesus. of St. Anthony. All right. Read. I plug it on the show all the time as if I'm Woj's protege over here. But read that book. You're going to culture yourself and you're going to learn a little bit about toughness, both mental and physical. And you'll learn how the Hurleys got to where they are. And you'll learn about the program that Bob Hurley Sr. ran out of Jersey City. So culture yourself. You the, only reason, the only reason the Hurley kids have jobs is because their dad was a really good basketball coach. That Pretty doesn't mean that they're yeah, good basketball coach. No, they were also elite players. I mean, Bobby Hurley was a lottery pick. One was. One of them was. That doesn't, one of again, them was an elite player. I'm not, here, I, I'm not here to speak for Danny Hurley. Well, well you, you want to talk about, look, 
you want to talk about toughness shark you're out there living your life in florida taylor's in like 70 degree weather in scottsdale i'm over here braving blizzard-like conditions for the past three days i'm, I'm shoveling my my patio which albeit only about 11 by 16 feet it's still shoveling i got ice everywhere nose droplets that become icicles i am toughness right now embodiment of toughness life's not all about palm springs in the desert and and, and florida Here's here's what I'll tell you, Sue. Okay, let me give you the exact reason why I don't have an ounce of care or sympathy for you. You made a personal choice, a personal life decision to move into a place where you're very well aware of what the weather is like. You could have been sitting here right next to me at 72 degrees today, but that was your own personal choice to not be. So I don't want to hear this whole like, oh my God, I can't believe that it's snowing in Chicago in the winter. Like, yeah, no shit. It's going to be cold there. Anyway, let me go back one second here and say, Shark, while you're reading books, maybe you should We have, maybe you should actually look at Bobby Hurley coaching basketball teams because his teams are fucking garbage. So I don't it's know irrelevant. why you would do it. His time at Arizona State is irrelevant to me. He could, he could have lost every single game for the past six years. It doesn't matter. If he were to coach in a Northeast-centric environment, I think he would thrive. He, he took Buffalo from the you – know, the, the, butthole of America and made them into a relevant program for a little bit. He can do that at Boston college. He'll build the program like his dad did Catholic elements, whatever you want to call it. He'll do a great job in chestnut Hill. We'll probably be hanging a banner within seven years. If he gets that opportunity, you look at what all these other kind of programs are like the Seton halls and the Yukons and the Providences. They all think they're so tough and they're such good programs. They've never done anything. Bobby Hurley would come in and at least be that. And you'll probably end up more likely at Villanova level of performance so i mean you could make the argument that hurley has just the edge has been taken off having lived in tempe phoenix scottsdale for as long as he has uh fake tits everywhere pools everywhere just suntan lotion smell the aroma messing with his chemicals in his brain it might have taken the edge off of him he might need to just get to a place where all you can do is freeze your ass off and play basketball that that's in his upbringing not much that you go to Applebee's, you pay crazy property taxes, you're miserable, you're cold, but you recruit. All right. That's what you do. Hurley strikes me as a guy who's only happy when he's unhappy. So maybe you are right. Maybe he needs to get back to a place where life is just harder and he can settle into being comfortable with hating his life. And because yeah, I think I, I really, I'm, that's not even, a, I'm not even hating on him. He just strikes me as a person that if he's happy and relaxed, he's actually disappointed. Or he's upset that he's happy. He's it's mental only toughness. happy when he's mad. Yeah, it's mental toughness. That's what I talked about. So they teach at St. Anthony, even though I never went there. But that's what I'm talking about. All right. You can go to brunch out in Scottsdale. Subi can go shovel his, you know, front porch and call it shoveling. We're gonna go build a program in Chestnut Hill with Bobby Hurley. If I have anything to say about it. So Taylor, the only thing that I would bring up with you as well is if you're going to go out on the limb or if you're going to reference some of these wildly unrealistic coaches for the vacancy, I don't know if you heard this. I forget if it was in a text thread only, or maybe you even tweeted it like a lunatic shark, but Brad Stevens, apparently Brad Stevens is a name on the message board. He, he might be on the outs in, for the Celtics, but he'd want to stick around in the, in the city and coach Boston College basketball. What are the most outrageous <laughs> name drops I've heard for this vacancy? In defense of that crazy on the message boards, he, he did have some way of backing it up. He said, hey, look, in the event Brad Stevens gets canned by the Celtics, he could just go to BC. You got you to gotta make the call. That's what he kept saying. You got to make the call. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that's why, that's why I love this stuff. You know, you, you get things like that.
Gotta make. The, I mean, that's that's re- remarkable. That'd be like me shooting my shot, DMing like, I don't know, Chris Lofton. Yeah, oh, maybe actually, maybe. Wow. Are you a, an airport or a, a an airplane tracker? I don't do it myself, but I follow the content. So if someone's going to put it out there, I'll register in my mind, and you know. So if someone's mind. not putting the content out there in your mind, are you like, man, I wish someone would be tracking the plane right now? It would be a useful piece of raw data for me to have. Okay. To Got it. Got it. Opinions. So you're like a seven out of ten in the airplane tracking uh, desire, I guess. So yeah, I think that makes you fanatical. I like that. I, I'm an airplane that, tracker too. I'm an airplane tracker too. I'm, I'm just. I'm. I'm. Fully yeah, I mean, the, just another data point. You got that. You got whether the ha- wife is interested in houses in the area, where the kids want to go to school. There's a whole bunch of different things. Whether they got family in the area. There's a lot of things you can track. Airport. Airport flights, you know, where they're going, whether there's a diversion throwing the, the athletic director's throwing a diversion one way. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a data point. Let's go ahead and get to another topic here. Jalen Johnson for Duke has opted out, coming under a lot of scrutiny, a lot of fire because of the timing of him opting out because Duke is on the wrong side of every bubble projection at the moment. Jalen Johnson, a pr- projected lottery pick, and he's really had a tumultuous time, I think, at Duke this year. Tough to tough to say any other player hasn't really. I mean, it's been a wildly crazy year. But Jalen Johnson opting out. Shark, I'll get your thoughts first. Do you feel a particular way about this? I don't necessarily think it's black and white, but I want to get your your feelings. Don't care. Don't care at all. Let him do what he wants to do. It's not – I think Rothstein, for as fun and as carefree and – um, engaging. He can be on Twitter. I think he crossed the line right there by, by kind of insta- igniting a mob quit. a little He bit. said he quit. But yeah, which I think is just a little bit over the top. I mean, that's going to get people – he knows what that's going to do. That's going to get people to go after him and criticize him for that, when in reality he's doing this for whatever personal reasons he has. It's a, kind of a lost season for a lot of folks. I'm not going to blame the kid for doing it. Don't think it's the place of a journalist, even though he can have as many cute catchphrases as he wants, but it's not necessarily the place for them to do that. Um, to uh, you know, publicly criticize a kid and label it, it with loud vernacular. Yeah, I think the the point here is, and uh, you know, we'll have another reference to this later on with the Lofton interview there. But uh, you know, you really don't know what's going on really behind the scenes. It appears to be this dude just didn't want to play anymore and wants to go get ready for the NBA. Surface level, yes, that's what it appears as. We really don't know. What else is going on? He's had a couple mysterious type absences lately uh, this year as well. I think he dealt with, I think he specifically dealt with a COVID issue, not just a team COVID issue. Um, You know, I kind of understand. I'm not condoning it, especially by like Rothstein. I, I understand some backlash outwardly. No one should ever go and actually attack a person like individually. I think part of that backlash stems from, Coach K kind of saying opting doing the opt out conversation we already had a couple times this year. So it kind of just looks like the whole team Duke said, Oh, we suck, so this year doesn't count. We quit, all that type of stuff. I, I understand that that there's that on the periphery, but we really don't know what's happening with each individual person. So yeah, I'm with Shark on this where it's kind of, you know, I, I would be I would be upset or you know, if I was a Duke fan, 
just because I want to my best players to be on the court. But at, at the same time, there's nothing we can do about that. So yeah, let him go do what he needs to do to, to make it at the next level. I think all three of us are in the same boat here. And the only thing I want to bring up with Duke fans, actually a couple things. One is these Duke fans are the same guys that are saying, stop playing Jalen Johnson. Jalen Johnson's been a huge disappointment. He's a part of the reason why we stink. So I don't necessarily know if I agree with you, Taylor, that they're actually happy or they're unhappy. I should say that he's no longer playing. They seem hypocritical and they seem like they just want to badger a kid for making a decision uh, that is going to benefit him. And, and 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 Duke fans are exactly these type of people, man. They get a bad rap. They're probably the most scrutinized group of fans across all of sports. We've referenced this 30 for 30 that Rob Lowe narrates about why people hate Duke. There's like five prongs, whatever it is. But it's pretty warranted, and I feel like sometimes people forget that. Now, every single fan base has those idiots, has those assholes, has those people that are saying the the – the name on the front means more than the name on the back. When in reality, that's not how real life works these days. That might've been the case about 10 years ago. It's simply not anymore. And I feel like coach K might be becoming a bit more obsolete than uh, people are giving him credit for in the sense that we look at a guy like Wendell Carter. He had issues with coach K he played the full season, but I think his mom or his aunt was on the outs with coach K I don't think there's a lot of great things coming out of Jalen Johnson's camp with Coach K. Now, of course, K has a number of years of experience and goodwill. I'm not saying he's a bad coach. He's a bad recruiter. He's a bad guy. But slowly but surely, these coaches are becoming a bit more obsolete is what I'm seeing here. But I think Duke fans, for them to get all up in arms and pissy about it, there's just a larger faction of those individuals in Durham than there are any other college campus, in my opinion. Well, or, uh, or, excuse me, Shark. What I was going to say is that's because they're not actually, they've never actually been to Duke's campus, first off. That would be one way to phrase that. And number two, before I let Shark go here, is you're perfectly right when you said, like, the hypocrisy of the situation. I saw a number of Duke fans that I follow. Swear none of them are friends of the program, though. Not any of those specific Duke fans. The ones who aren't friends with the program, though, they were, they're, they had back-to-back tweets that said, I can't believe Jalen Johnson quit on the team. And then their response tweet to it is, well, it was addition by subtraction. Well, so what is it then? You can't be mad at everything, right? You you either you can be mad at the player, I guess, but you can't be mad at him if you think the team's better now. So, yeah, it's kind of a very hypocritical situation for the fans. Sorry, Shark, though. Go right ahead. I didn't have much more to say. All I was going to say was, Hey, look, this is kind of just a reality of what's going on nowadays. You got people that are elite athletes. They're going to play at the next level. They're not going to want to play. Ben Simmons didn't play. Kyrie backed out. They, this is kind of what people do at this level. Uh, sometimes guys do play. Cade Cunningham, I give him credit. He's still going out there. But who cares if he's getting credit for playing a couple games for Oklahoma State? All that matters is whether or not you can make it at the next level. I'll backpedal a little bit on you know trying to acting feigning outrage towards Rothstein and uh, – you know, look, the, the comment is something I would probably make to my buddies. It's something we would talk about on this show. But when you're him, you shouldn't say that just because it's so ingrained with how these players look at the game nowadays. It kind of just comes off as, all right, dude, maybe you should have saved that one for the group text rather than tweet it out. So I'm really interested to see, and this brings up a, a, a topic that not to get too long winded on this episode so we can get to the Lofton interview here, but you know, with COVID going on now, the lack of AAU basketball that's happened recently, the lack of high school basketball that's happened recently, and just the fact that these guys, the current batch of players, 
younger than us for sure. You know, let's go 10 years younger than us. They, they literally have had new teammates every month of their lives, almost pretty much from 10 to 18 and on. And I was thinking this just last night when I was watching, I can't remember which NBA game was on. I was thinking to myself that some of the rookies or some of the sophomores on these NBA rosters, this is the longest they've ever played with a group of people before. And it took them to get to the NBA before that happened. Do you think that there is, do either of you guys think that there's going to be like some degradation of college basketball or even the NBA going forward, given the amount of, you know, that, happening but now combine it with like covid and stuff like that we've already seen it taylor and i think us three are smart enough to realize that it's already happening especially with the introduction of the g league that being said us three uh, we're going to be watching college basketball regardless we're going to be watching college games oh i don't need to see rj hampton in the g league i don't need to see jonathan kaminga in the g league i'd rather seeing uh, i'd rather seeing them on campus but i totally understand why they made that decision but there are going to be people who lose interest in college basketball. And that has to, that's the reality of the situation. I mean, I think uh, the other reality is that we need to take away this nobility of gutting through a season when you're a top five pick for like a seven and nine team or whatever the hell Duke is. There's nothing noble about that. Now, Cade Cunningham, on the other hand, hat tip to you, hug for you. Congratulations. Both of those guys can do what they want to do. Uh, Kate Cunningham, obviously in a better situation in terms of, of record, but I mean, stop with the, with the nobility that these guys got to play through no matter what, because they made a commitment. Fuck that. They have their own personal things to worry about. Go ahead, shark. I was just going to, I completely agree. I, I would watch a bunch of guys that suck that can't shoot play in college basketball. The sooner people realize that college basketball is about rooting for the laundry and not for the player the more these conversations will be easier to have because the outskirts college basketball fan is always going to say, don't you want more talent in your league? No, dude, I don't want more talent in my league. I want to see one school play another school where they're relatively close and see what happens and then go pick a bracket for a couple of days in March. That's what I want to do. That's what makes it great. Not the players. You want to see a segue right now? You want to see it? Guys, I want to see your guys like Chris Lofton, four-year players, SEC player of the year. Before we get to Chris, we do want to remind you that we're brought to you by Dash Radio's Nothing But Net channel and, of course, the Barnburner Podcast Network. Without any further delay, Chris Lofton. All right, we now welcome to the program probably our biggest and heaviest hitter we've ever had. I mean, no disrespect to some of our previous mm-hmm. guests before, but he is the 2007 SEC player of the year, former Tennessee guard S. DC legend, really, Chris Lofton. Chris, how are you today, man? Thank you for hopping on. I mean, I'm great, man. Just I don't know about y'all where y'all at, but it's a snowstorm here in Lexington, Kentucky. So it's it's a lot of snow out here. So it's been it's been tough just getting around and you know being in quarantine again. I'm currently in Chicago, so I'm getting dumped on with snow. Taylor is in Arizona. He's perfectly fine. I believe oh, the shark's down in Florida. I need to be out. I need to be where they are. <laughs> Come on down, man. We're waiting for you. Right. So I want to dive right into this and I don't necessarily, we'll probably jump around, but chronologically speaking, I want to first touch on your recruiting. Uh, I was reading a up a little bit about, and you were recruited by Chris Ferguson. First of all, was this guy part of the Buzz Peterson staff or was he part of the Bruce Pearl staff? He was part of the Bu- Buzz Peterson staff. Coach Ferg yeah. was. So, I was also looking at some of the other teams that you were looking at, right? Cincinnati was on your list. Florida was on your list. Louisville. 
I mean, we're talking about guys like Bob Huggins, Billy Donovan, and Rick Pitino. Why'd you choose Tennessee over those other schools? Well, those schools really didn't offer me a scholarship. <laughs> they were just, you know, like my junior, they were like sending me letters, talking to me a little bit. So when it when it come, came to my senior year, it honestly came between Arkansas State, Georgetown, Kentucky, which is an NAIA school here close to Lexington. And then at the very last minute, Tennessee came and, you know, Coach Ferg uh, came and watched me play like a pickup game with my high school teammates. And they just happened to have a scholarship open up because somebody transferred at the last minute. So it was a crazy story. It was like, you know, it was like a blessing by God, just like, here's a scholarship for you. You know, at the last minute when I was just had no idea what was going to happen. I had no idea where I was going to play. It was kind of getting scary, you know, after your senior year. And, you know, it was just then Tennessee just came at the last minute. and It was a no brainer for me. I was like, I'll sign right now. So I've, I was talking to a couple of my Kentucky buddies before this interview, and I said, hey, we're interviewing Chris Lofton. And all of them said, man, that guy used to beat the shit out of us. Was, <laughs> it, was any of that having – were you, like, inspired by the fact that maybe Kentucky didn't take that big of a look at you just down the street from you? Yeah, yeah, man. The Kentucky, you know, as a Kentucky kid growing up, I mean, Kentucky is the place. Kentucky and Louisville. Uh, I had a lot of Louisville fam- fans in my family, so – you know, Kentucky a little bit. I think Kentucky was definitely like number one on my list, you know, and, you know, for them not to offer me, it was kind of disappointed. And then, you know, Louisville not offering me my senior year was hurt, hurtful too. But, you know, it was, you know, it was motivation when I got to Tennessee for sure. You know, I got to Knoxville and was like, I'm going to give Tennessee everything I got, you know, working hard, staying extra late, early mornings, weight room, like, doing whatever I can just to, you know, thank them for take, giving me an opportunity and giving me a scholarship to play. I wanted to, you know, make them proud. Chris, as the resident Tennessee fan here, I think when people, people still think of Tennessee as a football school. And I, I think, you know, that's always going to be there, but basketball has been a growing entity at the university and kind of nationally as well. When people look at the school, you, being mid 2000s, 2004, growing up, overlapping with the Bruce Pearl era, kind of signified the beginning of the, this more modern run. Do you take pride in being kind of the, the the catalyst in restarting a program that was obviously great with Bernard King and Ernie Grunfeld in the 80s, uh, way back when? But uh, how do you feel about that and where you fall in Tennessee lore right now? I mean, I, I like that. You know, it was, I remember my freshman year at Tennessee was a disaster. You know, we were, 14 and 17, it was, it was tough. I was thinking about transferring and, you know, Bruce got the job and, you know, he changed the way we played and, you know, he brought energy every day. And, you know, our, I feel like I was just trying to, like you said, I was just trying to get Tennessee basketball back on the map. Like I wanted people to think of us as a basketball school, you know, like don't look down on us as, you know, they did probably before in the years past. And, you know, by the time I left, I feel like I did, I did a great job of that. And, you know, I always, you know, think back, like, leaving somewhere better than you found it. And, you know, that was my goal at Tennessee, trying to leave there better than I found it. Trust me, man, as someone that's been in a packed Thompson Bowling Arena plenty of times, it, it really points back to you. So you deserve all the credit for that, for getting the excitement in the first place and for great performances throughout it. So I'm going to stop kind of kissing your ass a little bit, and I'll ask some harder <laughs> questions, and I'll leave with this one right here. So 20, 2012, there was a poll that was done by ESPN and it basically wanted people to vote on who the greatest three point shooters were in the history of college basketball. You were listed there. 
J.J. Redick was listed there. Kyle Korver, Steph Curry, Steve Kerr, Jimmer Ferdet. And you won handedly over all those shooters. If you were to compile all those guys in a gym right now, do you still think that you could beat them? Well, listen, I'm going to tell you something about me. I'm not going to bet anybody's a better shooter than me. <laughs> <laughs> Even Steph? I'm not going to admit anybody. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Ever. But, hey, but don't get it wrong. All those guys are great shooters. You know what I'm saying? They, they're doing it at the highest level, for sure. And they're doing it at the highest level. And, you know, I respect them. I love watching Steph, of course. Um, Kyle Corver, JJ. You know, they've had great careers in the NBA. So Taylor and I are Arizona guys. It's honestly disrespectful to us that he didn't even list Salim Stoudemire on that on that list. But we can, we'll 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 put that aside for another day. You can't escape yours and Bruce Pearl's relationship as well. I'm sure you've had to answer a ton of questions about Pearl. We actually know a guy on the Auburn coaching staff right now, and we always have to ask him what is Bruce Pearl like on the court as opposed to off of it. And he gives us someone who works, I mean, he works for Pearl as a player who played for him. What are some of the things that people may not notice or see about Bruce Pearl that they can only see on the court? I mean, you, I think you see it, you know, how he is on the court, you know, fun energy. He's the same off, off the wants to laugh and joke. And he, he's, he's fun to be around because he's, you know, when it's time to work, he works hard. He does, you know, he does his job and, he takes it real serious, but you know, off the court and you know, traveling, he's he's fun to be around, jokes and has fun, has a lot of fun. So going back before we, you know, ask about maybe post-college stuff, there's a very important stat I want to bring up and see if you know. And that is who was the highest rated player in college basketball 2K8, the video game? 2K8? Or the last year they made that college basketball game. Who's the highest rated player? I have no clue. It's you, man. <laughs> you are the highest really? rated player in that game. Yeah, we had we fact checked that and everything. So, I guess my question is, and if you didn't know that, maybe this question isn't relevant. But when you guys were playing that game, did anyone tell you, "Hey, you're not allowed to be yourself because you're the highest rated player in the game"? No, trust me. When I played, I was myself all the time. You know, but I didn't think I was the highest rated. I did not know that. That's something to hang up on the wall right there, I think, right? right? You know, so. Hey, that's a, that's a great stat. I've never heard that. And that's 10 years. That game hasn't been produced in like 10 years, so that means for 10 years you have been the number one person picked in in this game for yeah for everybody leading up to even college kids now. Hey, that's, I like that. Appreciate that. I mean, you learn something new every day. That's why we had you hey, on, baby. I appreciate y'all. Yeah. All right, Chris, so you, you've obviously had an incredible professional career internationally as well so i, I want to shift a, a little bit of our gears into that we're, we're massive college basketball fans we pick brackets we didn't play like you but we follow great players like yourself and the natural thing is to think okay where are they going to go play in the league next or they're going to go overseas wherever it may be you know we have the relationships with these guys for four years or so and we we root for them you have had an incredible career internationally in a variety of different stops. I, I want to kind of ask you, what was that transition going from being a big man on, on campus in the United States into turning into someone that's working to find a role and wherever it may be in Europe to, I mean, I, I know you've been ex- extremely successful in some leagues as well. What, what's it been like for you? Right. It's, it's been, I look back, you know, I've, I started in 09. It's, and then my last time I played was 2019. So looking back, man, I had a great, 
you know, God's blessed me, you know, see the world and get to play the game I love since I was a kid to get paid. It's, it's been so much fun. You know, I've been to a lot of countries. I've had to get two passports because I ran out of room for stamps, but it's, I mean, I remember my first couple of years would always be tough when I have to leave the States. You know, those would always be the rough times, just, you know, leaving your family and friends and, you know, America and going to a foreign country and basically starting over because, you know, you're there nine, 10 months out of the year and, you know, it's a long time. It, it wears on you and, you know, you get homesick a little bit and it's, it was tough, but, you know, as I've gotten older, it's, I've gotten used to it. So it's, it's a lot better now. Where were some of your favorite places to play? Uh, my favorite place would have been Istanbul, Turkey, and then Madrid, Spain. Those two are my favorite. And and then most in 2019, I went to South Korea, and you know that was the first time being in Asia playing. So that was that was a fun experience for me. I know you mentioned you're in Lexington right now, but any places on the road contest with playing in Lexington at Rupp on a Saturday night or yeah, nothing man, at that level? Know, Marine is different level. Um, there's a couple places in Turkey that, you know, they got really wild, though. But, you know, Rupp is special. Florida was special, too, the crowd there. And, you know, those two road trips in the SEC is probably the, the toughest and what I, the two I like the best. Well, especially Florida when you were playing. I mean, they were at the top of the top of the country. Yeah, yeah they were great. Man. Two national championships. They had a great team. So your first couple of years that you uh, played overseas, you played in the ACB, which is the second best basketball league in the world. And you played a couple of games for Caja La Boral. I'm yeah. probably not pronouncing that correctly, but no, you said it right. I have a friend that, you know, I assume Brad Olson. Oh, you, Brad. Oh, yeah. that's my boy, man. That's I grew up. He's a, he's a little older than I am. We're both from North Pole, Alaska. I'm assuming yeah. that he's not the best player you ever played with. But my question is to you is, who is the best player that you've played with in Europe? Best player I've played with in Europe. No, Brad was real good, though. Brad he, was he could shoot that thing. Yeah, I mean, he yeah. Was, man, he was real good. Actually, just he just actually DM'd me just a second ago. Yeah. Uh, Dude, I, I, no, tell, him, tell him Taylor's. I, I, I totally forgot to text him today to say, hey, I'm, I'm chatting with Chris Lofton today, so I'll have to holler at him after this. Yeah, that's my guy. Uh, best player I play with. I mean, on that team, when I would say I played on Brad's team for like a couple months. So on that team was Tiago Splitter. If you know him, he played for the Spurs. Um, I don't know if you remember this name. Mirza Teletovic played in NBA. He was on that team too. And uh, Huertas was on that team Marlis as well. Marcy, yeah, Marcelino Huertas. Yeah. So there's three NBA guys right there. So probably one of them three, I would say. Hey, you know when you when you got a when you got a pro basketball player from North Pole, Alaska, you're following every team he's on and wherever he's going. So, like, we have a lot of people to root for, you know. So, so yeah, I remember those teams pretty well. And uh, who was Sean, Sean Singletary was on that team too, I believe. Yeah, he, so he yeah. came when I left. Yeah. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Hey, Chris, I promise you name drop anyone that you want. We have just a Rolodex of names, and I'm actually going to bring one up to you, another teammate of yours, Wayne Chisholm at Tennessee. Yeah. College basketball has gone through uh, just uh, crazy waves of fashion. You remember like 2011, it was the tight tank tops with the baggy shorts that were like parachutes. Your era, though, <laughs> was pretty baggy all the time. Oh, my, I'm looking back, my shorts and the jersey was huge. I'm just like, okay. 
who knows? Maybe you could have been a better shooter if that jersey wasn't weighing you down. That could have averaged maybe 10 more points. Maybe. But the reason I bring up Wayne is because this man, for our generation of uh, like fans, set the standard for wearing a headband. <laughs> Did you guys ever like talk in the <laughs> locker room about how fashion forward Wayne Chisholm was, or did you ever think that Wayne was going to be setting out like this fashion iconic example? I didn't, but you know, that's funny you say that. People bring that up to me all the time. You're like, Yeah, you was on Tennessee with the headband, headband game. I was like, Yeah, that's that's us. And that's that's so funny how that like people remember that, you know, especially Wayne, how Wayne wore it different from everybody else. You know, that was the trend he started, and you know, that was. It was a. Uh, I remember I wore headband my freshman year, but I just couldn't do it. I just I couldn't do it anymore after my freshman year. I was was Duke Cruz. He was the other guy that wore the headband. or Was it strictly it, Wayne? It was Duke Wayne. A lot of my teammates, uh, Jawan, Tyler Smith, I think Ramar. I think in our starting lineup, everybody wore a headband except me. I think J- JP Prince was a headband guy too, wasn't he? Maybe a couple. Maybe a little bit. Not okay. I can't remember if JP did or not, but, but it was damn near the whole team, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was a, it was. That is crazy, man. Uh, so another thing that I'm sure you've been asked a ton about is the Kevin Durant shot. There's so much to unpack in this shot. It's such a legendary shot for Tennessee and just in college basketball. You said on Dane Bradshaw's podcast that when you needed a bucket, you didn't want anyone else with the ball. And so I'm looking at this clip. But when you're tangoing with Katie, one of the greatest players ever now, one of the best college basketball players at that time, he was being lauded it. Is there something in you, Chris, that rises or like percolates when you're staring across one of the best players in the game? Or is that just your mentality against anyone, really? I think it's anyone, really. Like, I just, um, you know, I feel like I've put in the work, the extra work that I don't care who it is, who you are, your accolades, like, if it comes down to it, like I, I want, I want all the smoke, as we, you know, as everybody says now. Like I'm not ducking no wreck. I want, I want to play against the best. I want to go head to head with the best, and, and that's always been my mentality, and you know, always will be. So I want to break down that play as well. You shot it with 10 seconds left on the clock, the shot clock down two. Did it ever even cross your mind to drive to the hoop, maybe create some contact? Like, do you think Bruce Pearl was like, <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, hell yes. Right. Was I it mean, ever like what describe your thought process in that shot? I think Bruce called the play for me. He wanted me to like, you know, I feel like when a coach calls you play, like he wants you to make something happen, you know, whatever it is that you do. And I think Bruce just wanted me to, you know, make a play and for sure take that shot and, you know, he'll live with if I make it or miss it. So I'm looking at some of the great basketball players from Maysville, Kentucky. And one of them comes to mind. That's Darius Miller. So can you tell me why you are the best player from Maysville, (laughs) Kentucky? Uh, I mean, I've known D since he was young. So we, we grew up playing against each other. He's four years younger than me, but you know, we always, had battles and played and you know it's I'm so proud of you know what he's done now he's in the NBA right now won a national championship at UK but I just remember one summer I left when I left for Tennessee I came back and Derek just had a growth spurt I was just like man he got kind of tall then I come in the next summer and it and he's like it like it never stopped 
you know, he was like, man, I wish I had this height, you know, but, you know, Darius was, you know, he's a great player, man. I hope he's coming back from an injury right now. So hopefully he gets back and, you know, hopefully uh, can plays well. So you guys don't necessarily have the same game, but, yeah. you know, your, your style, obviously awesome shooter. And we talked about a number of them earlier, but do you ever think that, if you were four years younger, your style of game would have maybe parlayed uh, a little differently into say like the NBA because it has become such a more shooting centric league than it was. You were kind of right at the cusp of that pretty much. And right. if you were, if you were to say Darius's age, do you think maybe your NBA career would have played out a little differently given your skill set? Oh, uh, possibly, you know, everybody always says like, like you were 10 years too late. You know, people say that to me all the time. I actually ran into, um, what was it? Al Horford, probably two summers ago. I saw him in Atlanta. He's like, man, you're about 10 years too late. And I was like, man, yeah, you're right. Chris, I want to go back in time a little bit as well. Um, this might One of the things that sucks the most about being a Tennessee basketball fan is you go in there, you look up at the banners, and you see just one Elite Eight appearance. Mm-hmm. Do you think – that if you were still on that team in 2010 when they beat Ohio State, I know that they when you guys played them in 07 with Greg Oden, it was kind of just a painful, painful game. But you guys lit them up in the first half. But if you if you were on that team in 2010 that beat Ohio State and then went on to the Elite Eight, do you think you would have won, won a national championship that year? I mean, that's I mean, a yes. I see your face. They're not going to see the face. I see your face. First I'm going to say yes. But, <laughs> you, know, you never know, man. That's that's the thing about March Madness. You know, one bad game, it's it's over. So, you know, I say yes, but, you know, who knows how the ball would have bounced that game, the next game. We're such huge March Madness fans. We get so into it whenever the bracket comes out. Outside of your time when you were at Tennessee, so when you were a kid growing up, going to high school, were you big into picking brackets and following March Madness, or is this something where you just always envision yourself playing in the big game rather than being nerds like us picking the game? <laughs> I was both, you know, as a kid, that's something you look forward to. I mean, as a kid, like all I thought about, man, I want to be in the NBA. I want to play in the college. I want to play in the NCAA tournament. You know, it was those two things that I wanted to do. And, you know, that NCAA tournament as a kid was just always special, you know, games all day long and all weekend. And it was, it was nothing, nothing more that I ever, that I wanted to watch than that NCAA tournament. All right. Promise you, we spent hours sitting on our asses watching you play three or four years in Tennessee, man. I know that for a fact. Hey, Subi even takes the first two days of the tournament off work every year. Still, it's my holiday, man. It's my holiday. I might even sprinkle in the Monday after to recover. Yeah, buff. You got to have a buffer day after a long four day uh, four day extravaganza of basketball. Yeah. Hey, Chris, we've we've mentioned a lot of different venues. We talked about playing at Florida. We've talked about playing at Rupp. Tell us about TBA, though, a place that I'm sure is so near and dear to your heart, a place that erupted after that Kevin Durant shot that we already referenced. Tell us about that atmosphere. Man, that atmosphere is something special, man. My favorite place to play in, for sure. The fans, the Rocky Top Rowdies, you know, it was just, man, it was a special place. Like, I couldn't wait to get out there and, you know, just to hear the sound, the eruption when I hit threes and when we go on a run, and it just – there's no place like it. And I'm, you know, I feel sorry for like the kids now that haven't got to experience that. You know, all these freshmen this year who haven't got to experience the fans. But hopefully, you know, this this will get back to normal soon. So what kind of uh, involvement do you have with the Tennessee basketball program now? I mean, obviously, this last year doesn't really count with COVID shit. But like, do you go back there? 
uh, from time to time? Do you ever go shoot around? Do you, do you chat with the players, coaches, anything like that? Yeah, I mean, before COVID, I would go down there and, you know, watch practice, shoot around, work out down there, use the facilities and, you know, talk to the coaches and uh, get to know the players a little bit. So I was, yeah, I was there at least, I'd say at least once or twice a year, you know, when I wasn't overseas or when I wasn't busy, I was definitely down there. So do you ever foresee yourself going back as, say, a coach perhaps one day or anything like that? Yeah, that's a possibility. Um, just, you know, trying to figure out when and where, you know, get the timing uh, right. Well, hey, man, if you end up in the coaching ranks, if you get to the Final Four, when you win that national title, just holler at us. Please do not forget about us, okay? Forget about y'all, man. Never. <laughs> I mean, actually, in the short term, if you wouldn't mind, the team this year, we can't shoot for shit. So if you can just go give them a little luck or something, help clean that up a little bit so I can rest easy. You got any more eligibility? Man, I don't know if they want me. I'm old, man. I'm old now. I don't know if they want me. It's always interesting to get older players' perspectives on this, and I want to ask you about what's going on with Jalen Johnson and Duke. Are you familiar with that scenario going on right now? Is it the one where I just read where he's, he's opting out? Yes. So I'm curious as a former player, what are your thoughts on that? What are your thoughts on that as a teammate from a teammate's perspective, but also as a, from a personal perspective, if you have lottery type of, of dreams? Right. I mean, like, I don't know. I haven't seen him play. I don't know the kid. I don't know the situation. I don't know what's going on at Duke. Uh, I can understand by looking from the outside. It's like, hold on. It don't, it don't make sense to opt out in the middle of the season like this, you know, and if you're going to opt out when you do it before, the season starts, you know, but, you know, I don't like to, you know, like judge anybody's decision because I don't know what's going on. I don't know if it's family problems, health problems, you know, I don't know. So I don't really don't like to comment, but, you know, I can understand why people would be mad and just like, like it doesn't make sense. But I mean, I'm from a standpoint, I don't know what's going on in the kid's life. So I wish you nothing but the best and, you know. So the, I was just going to say real quick, I mean, the, the, the landscape of sports really has shifted where it's definitely more of a player empowerment era than even during your era. For sure. So I'm going to take this a little lighter direction here for, you know, I guess my last question is, so after a, any big particular game, what was your way to celebrate would you go down with the people at the bars would you go home would you stay with your teammates and if you did go out that night is there one night in particular or one game in particular that everyone was like yo chris man that guy fucks like he he he's the man all you know he's drinking for free tonight all that type of stuff well i was a the go out type of guy man you know what i'm saying i've never been that type of guy so honestly after wins i was just like cool and ready and like, for my mindset, was getting ready for the next game. You know, I was like, I got to get my rest. I got to, you know, get some food, get some rest, and be ready for the next night. Because I know, you know, I always felt like I had to go into the game. Like, I got all my sleep. Like, I was rested. I, I was prepared. Because I feel like if I played bad, the team lost, you know. And I didn't I didn't want that blame. I felt like, you know, I was going to get blamed for the loss. So I just wanted to be a make sure that I could control what I could control, you know, like. I know I'm not going to win every game. I know we're not going to win every game, but I can honestly say I played hard. I got my rest. I have energy. You know, if we lost, we got to take it. You know, it was a loss. Like, I'll be ready for the next game. I mean, come on. Not even one time you hit a game winner and maybe we're like, hey, let's go see what the people are doing here or what? <laughs> You're telling us you went straight home after that shot over KD? 
no, I went straight to Kentucky because that was after I was Christmas break. I ran, I got in my car and drove two and a half hours home. Was what I did. <laughs> what I like to hear. Next game, love it. <laughs> oh, that's good. Have you ever been to Calhoun's though? Just for a, oh, an ale steak. Of course, Calhoun's is my spot. Yeah, of course. I smell a lot of time at Calhoun's and those wings too. You gotta get those wings. I love their wings and that sauce. Never gotten the wings. I, I was visiting the shark when when he was uh, down there in Knoxville. So I'll have to do that next time. Yeah, I'm going to pivot just a little bit and end on on a serious note. And I mean, I'm sure this is something that you've been asked before as well. You played your senior Caesar season after undergoing surgery to remove a cancerous tumor. There, Chris, can you tell us about that time in your life and the decision you made to say I'm going to continue playing my senior year? Oh, uh, yeah, it was a you know, it was a tough time. That 2008 season, you know, looking back, was one of the toughest times of my life um, dealing with that. And I think for me, it was just a disappointment because, you know, after my junior year where I was SEC player of the year, like my 2008 year was so down than the year before. And that really hurt me because, you know, we were preseason number three in the country. You know, we were supposed to make a run and I just wasn't myself all year. And you know, I, it was, you know, just that cancer just, you know, took its toll on me and affected me in ways I didn't think it would. And, but, you know, it was, you know, I look back and I'm, I'm, I'm glad I played through it and didn't make any excuses because I, you know, sometimes a day I, I still get people sending me random messages, you know, on social media, just saying like, well, I appreciate what you did. Thank you for coming out. And like people, asking me how to deal with it that they're going through it you know so you know looking back i was i was mad but you know now i realize like you know i could help other people and that's what it's all about helping other people so i'm i'm glad i did the way i did it's nothing short of remarkable it really is i mean and and even more so you really not even telling anyone about it i think you only told bruce pearl maybe some people in the athletic office i don't you didn't tell your roommate for a while right yeah, yeah, I didn't tell any of my teammates. I told one teammate, um, Jordan, I forget when it was, but it was later in the year. And I remember, man, appreciate y'all boys, man. Thanks a lot. We really enjoyed having you, man. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Chris. All right, we want to thank Chris again for jumping onto the program. Fantastic interview. I can't stress it enough. That's probably our heaviest hitter, Shark. I- initial quick reaction to honestly seeing not only one of your college ball players college heroes, I should say, but a guy who wore your uniform. I It was awesome. Obviously, it was a great interview. I, I go back to the fact that a lot of the themes that we've had with the previous two episodes, um, you know, Nadu came on, the other guy came on, they talked about how they just enjoyed doing it, and they would talk into a microphone, into an empty room if they really wanted to do it because they care about it. And for us to be able to get someone of the stature of Lofton to come on, someone that was – literally spearheading Tennessee's revolution into becoming more of a basketball school was awesome. So nobody could listen to this and it would still, I would still feel validated about us putting, putting in the, the, the hours as they say here. All right, let's go ahead and finish it up now with some hugs. Taylor, I will kick it to you. Any hugs this week? Uh, my hug is going to be to uh, Texas tech coast coach, Chris Beard for his uh, mental breakdown he had and being ejected uh, against West Virginia this last week. Uh, one of the all time great uh, ejection moments by a coach in college basketball, something we really don't get to see very much, especially these days. Uh, it definitely reminded me of 
uh, a baseball manager getting kicked out after kicking uh, dirt over the plate. Uh, Chris Beard even sat down on the floor at one point. Um, it was a great ejection. Love to see it. Uh, and, and furthered my love for, uh, for Chris Beard. I think we all have love for Chris Beard. So hug, hug for Chris Beard. A lot of Lou Pinella and Lloyd McClendon meltdown on the, on the baseball diamond, but this Lloyd time McClendon, that's the name I was trying to think of. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Lloyd Lou Lubbock alliteration. I'm on it. Uh, my hug is for Arkansas back in the top 25 for the first time since Musselman took over. He has made quick work of that. So hug for Eric Musselman coming over from Nevada. We saw what he did. That is an established coach getting Arkansas back into that top 25. They will be a tournament team almost assuredly very, very quick turnaround there uh, for Arkansas shark. Any hugs? Jeff Goodman knows what he's doing, knows how to get people to react to him. Somehow defending the Jim Christian, uh, attacking the Jim Christian hiring, excuse me, firing butchered that in the beginning hug for me. But hug for Goodman strictly because he is attacking the BCAD, who maybe he deserves to be attacked, um, for firing Christian with three weeks left in a season. And he, of course, puts it in a pandemic, putting aside the fact that the guy's made millions of dollars over the past seven years. And, you know, he seems to be doing okay. But firing him in a pandemic, they give him, uh, you know, because it's classless, he shouldn't have done it. And he knows exactly what he's doing, Goodman. And this is why I'm giving him this hug. He, He does it. And then he knows some select few BC fans. I'll, I'll agree. There's not a lot of BC fans. He knows a few of them are going to get fired up. So then he can then quote tweet, making fun of them, the BC fans, so that all the other hyena, Providence, UMass, New England, other schools that hate BC for fair reasons can then come and join Goodman and say, look how funny Goodman is. Look how funny Goodman is for chirping the BC fans. Hug for him. That was a good tactic. But I will remove the hug with respect to his actions uh, regarding um, – you know, defending the, the uh, Jim Christian as to whether or not he should have finished out the season. We're giving Spinelli, Spinelli, man. Spinelli might run away with the job at this point. That guy's unbelievable. Pot, red wine and pasta every single night for Spinelli. All he's got to do is walk in through the back door of a restaurant like Tessator, huh? Anzo, the calamari. <laughs> Rothstein and Goodman on your shit list this week, huh? I, I mean, does anyone on this show like Jeff Goodman? Does anybody in general like Jeff Goodman? Uh, just the irony to me, too. Like, I remember he gets he kind of becomes notable because whether he was working for Fox Sports, the Boston Globe, or whatever, he was covering BC. So, like, he, he's getting a name for himself pre-ESPN by covering BC. That he turns around and criticizes BC for not having a fan base, which, of course, triggers all those other hyena fan bases. And then all of a sudden, he's sitting back saying, oh, BC doesn't have any fans. Well, look, bro, you got your start covering the game. So the very act that you're covering, it implies people want that content. So I know BC wasn't the big ticket, but you were the jerk off sitting there in Boston going to the BC games in the media room in the late 2000s. So who's, who's laughing now, but you are of course, because of what your tweet was. And it was a pretty good tweet. I'll give you credit for it. But I mean, come on talking out of both sides of your mouth. Goodman is the, he's almost like a reverse nepotism person like he had gives no credit to where he came from before like the dude went to arizona and nobody in the national media for the last 15 years has shit on arizona more than jeff goodman his alma mater and then he goes and covers bc and what you just said this seems to be a pattern because well, he's smart he, he knows what he's doing he knows how to rile up people that 
He knows that BC is an easy target in New England. So if you say something funny or quirky about them, then you're going to get the ones, the teams I referenced. And he knows that you guys are a huge fan base. So if he comes after you, they're going to do exactly what you just fell for. I'm an alum. How could you say that about us? You should be defending us. And there now he's got another tornado growing on the West Coast. I give the guy credit, but God. Goodman playing chess, playing us like fiddles, I should say. All right, let's go ahead and get to uh, Please, Sir, I Want Some More. Please, sir, I want some more. What? 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 Some more? Okay, gentlemen, so big bounce back week for Taylor last week. I know you went 3-0, and actually. Shark, I believe you went 2-1. and Let's take a look at Taylor's. Uh, predictions and, and his picks from last week. Iowa minus six over Rutgers. Believe that hit. Drake minus 11 and a half over Northern Iowa hit. Georgia plus 13 against Tennessee. Three and oh. Am I right, Taylor? Nice little bounce back week. Yeah. It, you know, at one point I had to actually make it look like I was knowing what I was doing here. Uh, so a big three and oh week needed that. Uh, that Georgia plus 13 was kind of uh, on the line there at the end. Uh, but the other two were pretty comfortable. So uh, excited to push forward for my second three and a week in a row here. Power of positive thinking. As we near March, I want to stress the power of positive thinking. I, I like what you just said there. Going for another three and a week. I believe this was the first time that you outdueled the shark. The shark going two and one. Mizzou plus one and a half uh, against Ole Miss. That's the one that didn't hit because you were very apprehensive about Quanzo saying, I pr- you almost talked yourself out of it in real time. You probably should have. I did. I as I began my monologue on why I was picking Mizzou, I pretty much convinced myself to take the opposite at the end of that. So yeah, you live and you learn. You sometimes when it's a stink line, you gotta you gotta take a step back and say, do what you're trained to do. And yes, Taylor beat us last week. I'm happy for him. Had a good parade for himself on Twitter. Uh, but you know what? We we just kept our head down. Our guys, we keep our head down. We chop the wood. We go two and one. We hit seventy two percent on weekday games all year. Uh, what else do you more from what more else do you want from us at this point? I still don't know if that was the correct phrasing, but I'm gonna I tried letting it slide just real quick, but you wanted to rehash really it. Let it slide, you immediately brought it up right after it happened. That's not like it was it a slide. quick rehash, it was a quick oh, rehash. Hi, honestly, you did the right thing too. I would have done the same thing to you. It did sound weird coming out. Mizzou plus one and a half against Ole Miss missed. Uh, well, wordplay for you as well. LSU plus three against Mississippi State covered. Kansas to cover any line didn't really matter uh, against should Iowa. Should get State. more. Should get more credit for the blind line pick right there. Blind line. That was yeah, just, that was an all time spot. You know, it, we're sitting here on Tuesday nights. You see what's coming two day, forty eight hours out in advance. That's why you sit down and you do the work. All right, the separation is in the preparation. I said that. Also, Russell Wilson said that. Both of us are attributed to that quote. Russell so Wilson, get- future Washington football team quarterback, Russell Wilson? We can, we can hope. We can hope. A lot of people forget that RG3 uh, created Russell Wilson. He didn't tread his knee back in 2012. That never would have happened. But what are we talking about here? We're talking about Wednesday night picks. Let's go Wednesday night picks. And the past couple of weeks, I've started with Taylor. I believe now we're on an even footing in terms of who starts and, and who goes second. Shark, to you, sir. Again, all that stuff's irrelevant to me. While we're on the topic of blind lines, I'm about to do another one for you. Another blind line, this time on a Wednesday night. I don't know why it is a blind line. So this game is happening. I, I don't know. Everyone's getting snow. Everyone's cold. Everyone's losing power all over the place. So maybe that's why they kept the blind line on it. But I am going to the Big 12. Texas is playing Oklahoma. The game's being played in Norman. 
I'm taking Texas. There's no line posted on it just yet. Taylor, because I see you game, on Because the game's been canceled because of COVID. It is. Separation is in the preparation. Or when was it canceled? It said 30 seconds, like three hours ago. It was? Yes. This will not be edited out. <laughs> I mean, what do you want me to do? This about? Someone threw you. a parade for himself because he was so prepared and then he, he didn't even come with a game that, ah, that was actually God. being played. Well, it's because I saw it on a calendar and it didn't say postponed. And soup, I told you I was a questionable all night for tonight. You know, I got life going on over here. I was questionable and I still came up with this one. Whenever this game's played, takes Texas. Okay. I can I, just trust me on that one. Oklahoma is overinflated. Texas is a little bit better. They're hot. I get Oklahoma's hot. I'm, I'm talking about a game that's not even happening tomorrow. So if you want me to move to the next one, I will. Well, you did say that whenever this game is played, so that very well could be the Big 12 tournament. I will keep this in the log. This goes into the memory bank. I if just, and when okay. Texas-Oklahoma play next, it could be in the NCAA tournament. I just, You're I saying just want, Texas no matter the line. I, what okay, am I showing? I'm showing, on, I'm showing you on, my iPhone. On. I'm showing you my iPhone. The game's still on tomorrow at 6 p.m. No, it's been it's been delayed till Thursday. Uh, Thursday oh. Texas is now taking here's the here's the issue with COVID-19 Texas was supposed to say Iowa State in a makeup game for a previously COVID-19 postponed game weather is now postponing the Texas Oklahoma game which is going to push it into Thursday subsequently postponing the Texas Iowa State game again so it's a combo COVID cold situation here what, you guys ever yeah. you so guys can ever I, just on, learn can I take... is normal real quick? I mean, now we got to deal with fucking weather in the Big 12. It's absolutely absurd. Go ahead, Shark. Can I take Texas over Oklahoma on Thursday then? We'll play them any place, anywhere, any weather, any sure. pandemic. Sure. Yeah. Fuck it. Whatever you well, want, man. You did Kansas blind line and that fell on a Thursday, so why not? Yeah. I don't care. I, I, part of my analysis was the fact that it's on a sleepy 6 p.m. tip on a Tuesday. I like Texas sneaking in there. But you know what? If I Because I'm caught off guard here, even though the information I digested was correct, I'll stand by the pick out of the dignity of this game. So give me Texas in that spot. Texas is better than Oklahoma in every single ranking except for the AP poll. So that should give you a little alarm bells going off right there. The better players are on Texas. They played twice. Last time Texas, when they played in Austin, they were favored by four. Oklahoma came back and snuck a victory out of there. I think that leaves a bad taste in Texas's mouth. Also, another one of my favorite stats, whenever you see the previous time someone played, Oklahoma jumped out to a big lead in the first half. Texas won the second half. I like teams that win the second half, especially when it's a close finish. So there's my pick there. Next pick could be topical for this episode. In fact, I think it is going to be topical for this episode. Tennessee. I'm going to Knoxville. They're playing South Carolina. They're favored by 10. Tennessee has looked like shit. They haven't covered in two straight games. Perfect, perfect recipe for that is one of the worst offensive teams in the country. South Carolina's Ken Palm is 108. Um, you know, Frank Martin, it, it, the writing's on the wall right here. He's actually getting floated to BC as a potential landing spot for him. So anytime you're talking about a coach leaving in early February, Valentine's Day, February, not a good sign. I think Tennessee's going to roll them. They're due for a big victory. They're favored by 10. Give me the Vols to – Really, really pound them tomorrow. Finally, last pick. I'll keep it in the SEC. This is kind. Of, this is kind of in the same vein as in uh, Missouri. You know, it's like a heroin junkie that's just like going back to the same vein. I'm kind of doing it right here, but I'm picking Kentucky. Kentucky's favored by four. They're playing Vanderbilt. It's the old. You know what? What's going on here? Why is Vanderbilt getting less than five points against Kentucky? Kentucky is historically bad, but if Kentucky wins this game, then all of a sudden there's a narrative that they're going to be about 500 playing Tennessee on Saturday. Maybe they're going to get their hopes up for that one. I don't know. 
Uh, Kentucky's just the better team. Vandy, for all you know, everyone always associates three point shooting with Vandy. They're all right three point shooting, but they can't score otherwise. And Kentucky's actually top thirty uh, Ken Palm defensive team, so I think they're going to lock them up. And the line is too short at four, despite the fact that it's being played in Nashville. So my three picks are Texas whenever that happens, Tennessee when that happens tomorrow night, and Kentucky. Strong, strong picks, Taylor. So I'm actually going to take a page out of the Sharks book here, and I'm going to start off with Kansas. I got them at minus 12 on my book. I see other sites have them at minus 13. Uh, I would take them at minus 13 even, even, excuse me, either way uh, over Kansas State. Kansas State is terrible. They are 5-17 and 17 on the year this year. Let me ask you real quick, Taylor, who's worse, Iowa State or Kansas State? That's, well, thank you for saying what I was about to say, and that is I don't know who's well, worse, Iowa State or Kansas State. They're both pretty similar. Uh, you know, Kansas has a little bit of, uh, I don't know, holdover maybe from the, the brawl that happened at Kansas State last year. Was that just last year? I think it was just last year, wasn't it? What, the brawl between Kansas and Kansas and, State? Yeah, that was at Kate. Yeah, that, just that was still Sosa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. I know they're not there still there, but that happened last time that they traveled over to Manhattan, Kansas. Uh, great town, great tailgating there in Manhattan. I was actually in Lawrence. That brawl. Okay, that's what I was asking. That's what I was asking. Yeah, okay, excuse me. So whatever. Anyway, Kansas State sucks is the overwhelming point here. I don't even care if Kansas isn't that good this year or as good as usual. Kansas State just sucks. So let's go with Kansas minus 13. My second pick is going to go up north a little bit to where they did just get a lot of snow speaking of and that is Boise State by one and a half over Utah State you know there's a legitimate argument here that Utah State is a better team than Boise State Uh, but Boise State is undefeated at home this year and have won at least 11 in a row dating back to last year so I'm going to take them one one and a half is pretty much a pick'em game so I'm taking Boise State over Utah State Now, my last pick is going to be, I think, a team that has, along with Florida State, this team, they are my boys this year about as much as anybody else's. I'm going to go back to the well, as I have been doing for the last couple weeks here, and I'm going to go with Drake, minus five on the road at Northern Iowa. Drake just, you know, they had... uh, They split some games with Loyola-Chicago this last week uh, in pretty much their toughest games of the season thus far uh and you know this is the time of year where we start talking about how teams have had quad one quad two whatever wins and drake doesn't have that many quad one or however many wins but i don't care if they've gone streaking in the quad i don't care if they play the quad city djs i'm gonna roll with drake pretty much here until the cows come home but right now minus five over northern iowa all right we want to thank chris lofton yet again for jumping on Uh, And we want to thank you again for listening. We'll catch you next time here on Theater in College Hoops. Put mystical on the spot on Invasion Radio. Let's go. I'm going to put some beats on and I'm going to start it like this. Go. And mystical going to go in for us. Look. Play no fucking beat. Then he play a monster fucking beat. Yeah, let's go. I tell you what. I make a motherfucker say, oh, yeah. I'm cold as a lion with no hair. You ever see me fighting in the forest with a grizzly bear? Help the bear! Cause that bitch gon' need it. And I'm home and greedy. Give me that goddamn porridge. But I ain't even gon' eat it. I fell out with fall. Why? Fucking spring. <laughs> I got it till the summer. Cause I'm told her that the winter be coming. <laughs> I had a fight with lightning. 
Yeah, I kicked his ass. I sent him home on the lightning bolt. I ducked the flash, but I got a tan. We come together with the birds and the bees and the trees and the leaves and the pots and the pans. But we always fight like cats and dogs and roaches and red cans. I said, what's happening, my man? Know what I'm saying? What's happening, my man? Giant up, power up, motherfucker. Get it up there then. Get it up there then. Motherfucker, get it up there then. Giant up, power up, motherfucker. Get it up there then. Y'all got to pay for the rest. Fuck that shit. <laughs> I'm sick of it. <laughs>